I don't think there's any substitute for paying attention to people, knowing what they're interested in, who their networks are, and using that to bolster the effort, not be the effort. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. Today's episode, at its core, is about entrepreneurship. You're going to get the opportunity to learn about a great guy who's built an awesome company that is the result of a lot of hard work, amazing relationships, and unwavering fortitude. You might say, well, that just sounds like the secret sauce to being an entrepreneur, and you wouldn't be wrong. But anyone who has ever attempted to build a business knows that so much more goes into entrepreneurship. Having a good idea is just that, a good idea. There's so many skill sets, variables, risks, and sacrifices that are endured, which is why it's also the reason that most don't make it. Well, this story has a happy ending. Actually, we're just in the early innings of this game, but it's shaping up to be a World Series winner and couldn't have happened to a better guy who was kind enough to spend the day with me and share a bunch of morsels of wisdom that not only lend themselves to business, but life in general. The man I speak of is Todd Richheimer, founder and CEO of Lofty Law, a unique company with a great corporate culture that has figured out a way to bring data science and technology to the often antiquated legal industry. Since we cover so much in this podcast, I'll try to break it down into a couple of high-level themes. The importance of perspective in life, relationships and trust, as well as the entrepreneur's journey. Todd is articulate, curious, and as likable as they come, not to mention always a pleasure to be around. He's generous with his time, he's an excellent businessman, and holds a high moral compass. It's with great pleasure I bring to you my conversation with my good friend, Todd Richheimer. Enjoy. I've been looking forward to this, man. Me too. Yeah, Me so we're, we're going to have some fun. We got a lot to talk about. Todd Richheimer in the house. Thank you, sir. Oh, man. So there are so many different things that we can talk about. I've been excited about this for a variety of reasons. Great guy, the entrepreneurial hustle, the relationships that you've built. I mean, I don't even know where to begin, but I'd like to begin at least where it began. And that is with a thank you to Jay Mayer. Mayer? Mayer? Absolutely. Mayer. Mayer. Okay. Jay, I hope you don't get offended and mispronouncing your name. So Jay, to give you the backstory mm-hmm. on how I know Jay, because I think that speaks to just relationships and how things happen. Sure. I had actually sold a car to Jay. <laughs> and I don't even remember how he even knew. But anyway, so I sold the car to him and it was, it was a great car. And still to this day, he'll be the first person to tell you how wonderful mm-hmm. that car was. And then we just stayed in touch. And then when I was in the litigation funding space, I had reached out to Jay. We, and I got, I'd sold this car probably 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. We'd stayed in touch and I uh, bumped into him or we were talking and I said, hey, you know, tell him about what I was doing. And he immediately says, you know, you've got to, you've got to meet my friend Todd. And he's like, this guy's amazing. He's a high caliber person. He's a great businessman. And I think the business of what you're involved in 
he would understand and he'd just be a great person to know. And man, did he hit the nail right on the I head. I appreciate that. I'm going to come here anytime I'm uh, feeling down on myself. <laughs> Try to get my uh, little pick me up. Yeah, nice. No, man. but I'll tell you, shout out to Jay. Jay actually placed me from my first law job to my second. Jay was the recruiter that placed me. Two times? No, placed oh, just, me once. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Uh, so my first law job, Jay called me. Best cold call person I've ever met before in my you're life. You're kidding me. He's yeah. unreal on the phone. Give me an example. I, I can uh, see that. He's a smart no, guy. No, it's just, I mean, so if you're an associate at a law firm, uh-huh. right, it, once you cross two, three years of practice, you end up getting solicited all the time to make a lateral jump. The recruiters are calling you, asking you, hey, do you want to jump to this firm, blah, blah, blah. And um, you're busy. You're in the middle of it. You're trying to bill your hours, et cetera. And you hang up on most of them, right? You can't, I mean, yeah. I mean, you're polite, but yeah. like, you just don't have time to entertain it. And he called and caught my ear, but I will say, I mean, this goes to networking. My, my view on that was I always listened. I always sort of smart. Hey, it can't turn down an opportunity you don't have, but he was tremendous. So, and then what did you guys do? Cause you guys didn't touch. I mean, he wouldn't oh, yeah. have, you know, so I think a lot of times the recruiting industry in general is very transactional. And yeah. that was one of the problems that I had with it. But obviously, you guys built a relationship and Absolutely. enough that he stayed in touch. How many years was this? Is years ago, oh, right? This was, it's got to be almost eight, nine years ago yeah. at this point. Yeah. No, he was, he was great. You know what it is? It's, and I'm sure we'll talk about this today, but it's like meeting real people. Mm. And he's just somebody who, this is a great commercial for Jay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're spending five. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. But no, no, no. But he was, yeah. uh, he came through on everything that he said he was going to come through on. Yeah. It was uh, tremendous. Unbelievable. For those who are listening, tell us your name, who you are, what brings yeah. you here today, your Absolutely. background. We're going to go through it all. Yeah, sure. So yeah. Todd Richheimer. So uh, about myself is a uh, proud dad to two little girls, mm. three and a half and one and a half. And I'd like to think amazing husband mm-hmm. <laughs> to my wife, Jessica, yeah. who uh, we were talking earlier, having to meet first day of law school. We live on Long Island and, you know, we're in the thick of it in terms of family stuff, but wouldn't have it any other way. In terms of professionally, it's been a hell of a ride. It's been, yeah, it's, it you know, I, I'm somebody who views work as it should be fun. It always bothered me. I've had some really crappy jobs along mm-hmm. the way, and it, it always bothered me watching people just exist in jobs they don't want to be in mm. when it's entirely in your control to find something you want to be doing. And so started out my career, graduated from Emory University, started my career in investment banking, did a stint at Bear Stearns, decided quickly that was not for me, uh, left and worked on the 2004 election cycle. Oh, you're kidding uh, me. Yeah, I don't know if we ever discussed no, that. No, no, that's one thing. I felt yeah, like we were covering really a lot. Really cool experience. Yeah. Really cool experience. Got to see sort of grassroots politics. Every person politics. I've ever talked to, has, even if they hated what they do, they look back and they look at it as one of the best experience, life experiences. I have to tell you, and we live in an age that is just hyper-partisan. I don't care if you are the most left-wing person or the most right-wing person. Yeah. Try if to you that, have, it'll, it'll create a lot of noise. Oh, the, gotcha. Yeah. If you have any interest in politics or policy or just what's going on in the world, highly recommend volunteering, working, just spend some time around the process. What was your biggest takeaway from that experience? It's going to sound corny, but democracy is amazing. Interesting. It really is just an amazing process that like, I had the experience of getting to go to Iowa, for example, Mm -hmm. right during the um, 2004 primaries. And just to watch the process and how involved the candidates are with the electorate. I mean, Iowa, given how important the caucus is, it was really an incredible process where you'd have these people in the state that would meet the candidates several times personally, get to ask them questions and still haven't made up their mind. I've got to meet such and such a candidate again before I can make up my decision. 
and just watching the system work was incredible. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, we could go into that yeah, for a long time. Really so. cool. And, and actually, along those lines, it was a neat experience. I ended up working for a, a very, um, <laughs> speaking of networking, very well-networked money manager in Manhattan. Great guy. His idea was to raise money for Senate candidates from around the country with the idea that New York money would go a lot further. And as luck would have it, Barack Obama was our keynote speaker at our luncheon prior to the 2004 election cycle. And so it really an incredible experience because, I mean, nobody really knew who he was. And then a month later, he gave the keynote address at the convention and just became famous overnight. Yeah, literally. And I remember we had this event and Jim, who was the money manager, hired me to be his political director. So I helped put on the event. I remember meeting at the time State Senator Obama and his aide out front of the Metropolitan Club, right in Manhattan. It was just him, an aide in a black car in the middle of Manhattan. And you could have tripped over the guy and had no idea who he was. Fast forward a month and it was like worldwide fame. Amazing. It was incredible. What was his presence like? Did he have presence? Did you know that this is a guy that has presence? Did you get a feeling for him? Oh, yeah, for you sure. You did. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just absolutely. I mean, the second you met the guy. Yeah. So people liken him to uh, Clinton because you feel that when you feel that you're in the room, you feel that no one else is in that room yeah. beside you. You got that sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I've heard I've never met President Clinton, but I heard that his presence is on another level. Yeah. From <laughs> yeah. that regard. Yeah. So, okay. So you did that. And then, yeah. then what? So it was that experience that <laughs> had the conversation with myself. Don't really know what I want to do. Interested in business, interested in politics. Decided to go to law school. I figured that politics was the closest thing to what I wanted to do. So I ended up going to law school. Went to uh, Wash U in St. Louis. And really just an incredible experience. Yeah. Had, uh, met my wife the first day of school and really had a great time. And I think I benefited a lot from having worked for three years prior to law school. It's big. It was huge. You know, I didn't take myself or the process too seriously. I really had a good time. And I knew it was nice going into law school knowing what I didn't want. I didn't want one of the big time, white shoe, super competitive jobs. I had done that at Bear Stearns. Mm. And I wasn't interested in the legal version of investment banking. And so it just made my law school experience that much more enjoyable. That's great. Fast forward, you graduate, then Mm -hmm. what? Yeah, so graduate, went to work for a, a number of law firms. I worked for two law firms, one right here in Jersey, which was a, a regional firm, and then went to a very, very large firm, international firm, before starting Lofty. And so always interested in business and law and getting involved in the legal space. It was just eye-opening day one, right? What, what was Always been a curious person. And it's like you walk into a law firm, it's just backward. It's straight up backward. It's like technology happened and law firms weren't paying attention. <laughs> they still uh, aren't. No, it's really it's crazy. Amazing. No, yeah. it's, and yeah. I, I'm actually somebody, I believe, if you look at the professional service sectors compared to the rest of the world, mm-hmm. I really think that's where the next great opportunity lies. Mm-hmm. They're very unsexy, right? It's not the next Uber or social media platform. They're very unsexy, but they are very backward. And they are just loaded with opportunity. And so the wheels started turning, right? I mean, it's like, why is this? How does this exist? Why is the partner next to me still dictating his notes, right? I mean, he can't turn on his computer. And so just started thinking and had a whole host of different ideas. And as luck would have it, my wife and I rented a share house in the Hamptons one weekend. And I met, didn't know it at the time, but met my now co-founder. In what year? This is 2000 and summer of 2012. 
And so I meet, who's my co-founder in Lofty, and never met anybody with Mike's expertise. I went to MIT undergrad. Is Mike where I met in, in Vegas? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. I never met anybody like Mike with the expertise, computer science and electrical engineering. Uh, had just left, he was working for Raytheon for a while. Uh, had just left Raytheon, was moving to New York. We just hit it off. Not from a work perspective, just from like cool guy doing cool things, interested in business and entrepreneurship and whatnot. We kept in touch and it was probably fast forward two or three months. I had some wacky idea, something to do with calendaring solutions. And I called him and I was like, hey man, you know, I got this idea. You've got a technical background. What do you say? We'll grab a drink. And so we grabbed a drink, started brainstorming. And what that led to was we got together every Saturday for about a year at a WeWork in Tribeca, just brainstorming and prototyping different ideas. All different kinds, not the calendaring. That was no, not the, that was like I think that fell by the wayside, you know, after the first meeting. So was it you knew that law wasn't for you, business was entrepreneurial spirit. You meet this great guy that mm-hmm. you've got a synergy with, and you got to figure out how you two can make something happen. Is that kind of the, absolutely? The, yeah, I always knew I wanted to start my own business, yeah, but didn't know how or where or what. First of all, I had to get out from underneath my student debt. That was number one. Truth be told, if I didn't graduate law school with $150,000 in debt, I probably would have tried to go to a prosecutor's office. I always thought that would be a really cool job. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that option wasn't really open to me, living in New York and dealing with debt and, and all that. And so I went and took the big firm job to get out from under the debt. And when I felt like I had gotten out from enough of it, I set my sight on starting my own thing. I always knew I wanted to do that. And it was a perfect combination. It's weird how things happen, right? It's like just the legal space was riddled with problems from a business perspective. And it was a perfect intersection of my interests. So you knew that you were going to do something in legal. You were going to intersect. Absolutely. At at that point, right, I had spent all this time and money becoming a lawyer. And I like being a lawyer and did at the time. Still like being a lawyer very much. And so, yeah, I knew I wanted to do something in that space. Yeah. And, And what was Mike's? Was he agnostic? Yeah. You know what I found with technology folks is definitely agnostic to industry and more interested in solving problems. So let's talk about Lofty. Yeah. Tell tell everybody about Lofty. Yeah. What do they do? do? I mean, it's an amazing, I mean, you've built and again, I mean, you've really built an amazing company. The product's fantastic. The people at your firm, you've really developed a nice culture. It's been so much fun. And I know a bunch of your clients and they are your biggest raving fans. I appreciate that. Lofty has been It has been so much fun to take an idea and build, Mm -hmm. right? And build it, we're five and a half years in now. And so what we do is we set out to turn legal advertising into a science. We partner with personal injury and employment law firms around the country. Um, You do employment too? Just started. Oh, just starting. Yeah, oh, that's well, brand well, I've new. Got, I've got some great contacts. For oh, you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get into that later. A- absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, hot off the press. I mean, this is just getting going in that. And what we found was, so take law firms being backward in terms of technology. What the thought was, was what's the lifeblood, right? What's the best way to get to know a law firm? And it's cases, right? It's how do you market yourself to get cases? And that was the best way to get in front of these firms and get to know them. It's funny, when we first got started, I had two different ideas. And one was an idea related to saving these law firms money with expenses. And the other one was how to generate cases or generate revenue. And what we found is selling a revenue-related solution was way easier (laughs) than selling an expense-saving solution. And so... How quickly did you realize that? 
within the first two months. Really? Yeah. Is I, Did you do like A-B test it or did you just, you were starting out with expense side and then you're like, oh, so started let's pivot. Out, started out with expense side for a variety of reasons and then pivoted very, very quickly to the revenue side. And then what prompted the pivot? Did you, you were just looking at the data or you were just, you weren't no, getting the bikes, is, you, were... you know, it's, this is a big belief of mine in terms of entrepreneurship. It's the hustle, right? It was like, I literally got in my car, knocked on doors and tried to sell the solution. And what I realized was like people were warm to it. They liked it, but didn't love it. And then when we started bringing the revenue side solution, it was, there was a very, there was a craving for it, right? Mm. Just something that you could feel that intangible, we need this. So you got the idea, you form a company. Is it just you and Mike? Yeah. Yeah. It's just just me me and Mike at that point bootstrapped. I took every dollar I had saved and said, let's give it a shot. And for me personally, knowing that I wanted to start my own business, it was, I was at a jumping off point. And I think that this is what happens to a lot of people, frankly, that are interested in entrepreneurship. I had this awesome law job. I worked for incredible partners, the ones that Jay Mayer introduced me to. And it was a partnership track job with a very large law firm. And my wife and I were considering having kids. And I knew if I didn't make this jump now, you get sucked in. It was never gonna happen. Yeah. How, old, how old were you at the time? I was, let's see here, early 34, 33. Yeah, okay. Yeah, something like that. And knew that it was either now or never. And so just threw caution to the wind. My wife and I had fortunately saved a, a little bit of money and said, let's give it a whirl. So your own money? You guys didn't seek outside? Uh, Not at first. Really? Not at first. At first, you know, and it was a modest amount. I mean, at first we took what we had, started the business. And then I would say within, it's probably within like six to eight months, started really heavily looking for capital. Yeah. And our business is interesting, right? It, it just, we're in the legal space. It's a regulated area. We had to go down the debt capital route. It gets convoluted and complicated, but it wasn't a, a straight path. And if I had to give one recommendation to entrepreneurs out there, it's like, it's the nuance where opportunity lies, mm. right? And yeah, it's been great. Okay, so you start the company and you talked about knocking on doors. Did you physically knock on doors? Or oh, how, yeah. did, how did you go about walk through, especially for those people that are starting? Like, how'd you do it? Did you map out a list of firms that you had relationships with? How many people did you know versus how these doors get opened? Yeah, so I'm somebody who keeps in touch with a lot of people. Yeah, and you're so, very good at it, by the way. I, I appreciate and, it. And it's really hard to do when you're building a business and... It is. Is that something that you're very conscious about? You carve out a certain amount of time to do this? I'm fortunate in that I genuinely like people. Yeah. Okay. Right? So right. like, okay. It, it, not everybody, not everybody yeah. can say that. And it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's, it but like, it yeah. I like people. I'm curious about people. And so that's always been easy for me. And so I really dug into that network. I like to believe that I'm somebody who does what I say I'm going to do and somebody that can be trusted. Mm-hmm. And I think that went a long way And that when I called in those chips, when I called in those favors, say, hey, can I get an introduction to so-and-so, people came through. They were receptive. Yeah. And so really Lofty was founded off of tapping into our personal networks first mm-hmm. and then going from there. Yeah. So you had a list of people that, so it was friends of friends. That made yeah. the introduction. And this is where LinkedIn is great, yeah. right? I mean, just being able to, I love playing that game, like backing up from, I want to get into such and such a firm. How do I figure out some warm introduction mm. there? Let's talk about that. That's a yeah. great way. So you triangulate in. So before you even get into that, I want to tell you, so it was really interesting. Now I forgot the statistic, but it's like 84 to 86% you know, of jobs 
capital raising and like almost any big milestone doesn't come directly from your friends. It's your friends of friends. Absolutely. And, and you're, what you're saying is echoing that sentiment to a T. Well, I'll tell and I'll fast forward. And so I love the entrepreneurial journey, right? I mean, like the ups and the downs, you and I were talking about this yeah. before the, it's a roller coaster ride in all of the best ways. We had a financing fall through two years ago and we were scrambling, right? How to find more capital. And through a friend of a friend, one friend said to his friend, hey, I got this guy you should meet, completely unrelated to capital, mind you. This mm. was, you guys are in a similar industry. You should get to know each other. One thing leads to another. We have a great capital partner, right? And it's just through relationships. That's how it works. Yeah, it really, <laughs> it it really is. But yeah, I love the triangulation game. So talk about that. So, okay. so LinkedIn, talk to me about how you use that. Were you an early adapter or is it something that... Did you always know that it was a powerful tool? Always knew it was a powerful tool. I think it's a very good tool. I I think it's very powerful. I think it's been diluted a little bit. I'd agree. Uh, I find it frustrating where everybody's connected to everybody now. Yeah. And the connections are somewhat meaningless. Like I can't tell you how often I'll reach out to somebody who I've got a close connection to and say, hey, can you introduce me to so-and-so? And they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know so-and-so. Yeah. Well, but they're a first connection of yours. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, so, I just had that happen today, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And so that's frustrating. So I think it's one tool yeah. in the arsenal, but I, I don't think there's any substitute for paying attention to people, knowing what they're interested in, who their networks are, and using that to bolster the effort, not be the effort, yeah. if that makes sense. Do you do anything after you meet someone? Do you take down notes or do you have a CRM or anything that you use to go to? We do have a CRM. Yeah. We use uh, Streak. Uh, it. so yeah. It's great. I happen to love it. Because it's And actually, our business in a lot of ways is built off the platform. It's a great CRM because it's built into Gmail. And so it's uh-huh. really intuitive. It's easy to use. Really have very good things to say about it. Okay. But highly recommend oh, checking it out. And so, yeah, so I use that. I use email a lot, but it's always just getting their phone number and name in my phone. And then I'll take notes Right. Of like, hey, discuss this with so-and-so and, and, you know. It's just impossible to remember everything. Oh, it's impossible to remember everybody. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Are there certain things, what I like to call triggers, meaning like hot points, things that are really important to them that you look for, whether it's a birthday, whether Mm -hmm. it's some form of milestone, whether it's a political stance that you keep track of? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's unfortunate. That's like, if I had to rank things I'm good at versus things I'm bad at, that's definitely something that I am good at is remembering what those things are with people. Yeah. It's something that I've worked on, but is like taking note of what people are interested in Mm. and feeling out like the human intelligence or emotional intelligence component of reaching out to somebody with the right tone, whatever that may be. It's amazing how many people get that wrong. You know, but you said you worked on it. So is that something that it wasn't natural? Or? No, it's something that came naturally. However, it's something you could always get better at. Yeah. And especially with the various ways we communicate, right? How things can be misperceived, mm-hmm. right? Everything from a text message to an email. Oh, yeah. 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 So you reach out. Let's go back to the triangulation. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm curious to how, and I know that the people that are listening could really benefit from mm-hmm. this because this is a skill. This is a part skill part, just re- building the relationship and then yeah. knowing how to have these kinds of conversations. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So I, my biggest view on it is like networking should not be transactional. Mm-hmm. Networking is about building relationships, real relationships where you reach out to somebody and they're not saying who is this person and why are they 
talking to me. Mm-hmm. It has to be about, and I've heard you talk about this a lot, it has to be about giving, right? It's like, I want people to feel welcome to reach out to me and I'm happy to make connections and introduce people to other people. So I think the, the first step in it is, is being real and actually building those relationships. Yeah. Um, You're a man that practices what you preach. So when we first, I don't know if you remember, we first went to lunch. I forgot the name of the place. Good place right around the corner on 34th and 7th. Oh, yeah, yeah, That you is uh, above the hotel. Yeah, yeah. Great I forgot spot, that by the way. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so we sat for like two hours and you were spent the time helping me. Mm-hmm. And we had just, I mean, granted, we had spoken on the phone and there was the mutual, you know, so trust is transferable coming sure. through Jay. Jay again, <laughs> you know, so we had that there, but you, you did spend, here you are a few years ago in, you know, right in the beginning, building up your business, but you yeah. carved out time to help me as I was starting one of my businesses. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I love that. I want to be clear here though, because I feel like people don't talk about this side of it all. If you meet somebody who's an asshole, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? like don't feel compelled to make connections. Like when I met you, right, it was very clear that A, we clicked, we had subject matter that was of mutual interest and you came across and are a great guy, right? So it was in my best interest as well to make your acquaintance and build that relationship. Because I do think you have to be selective over that, yeah, right? That's a good it's, point. I it's mean, a really you can point. really dilute or diminish your effectiveness as a networker or somebody that can connect people or ask for connections if you start making bad connections. <sighs> quickly. Yeah, no, very quick. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, have I you actually- Have you burned yet? You have one of those yet? Uh, nothing crazy. Yeah, it, okay. You? Oh, man, I mean, it's a numbers game. So yeah. then, <laughs> eventually you're going to get burnt. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it'll happen. Yeah. Of course, none in particular come to mind. But I've, yeah, I've had a few. It happens. I'll also be clear. If I make an intro that I'm unsure about, I'll let the person know that is going to be the somebody who's asked of, right? That, hey, I can't vouch for this guy, right? Like I met him, seems like a nice guy, but I can't say whether or not it's somebody you'd want to work with. See, that's the key. That's yeah. exactly. And then do you do the double opt-in? What do you Meaning, mean? Meaning, so say, I'm going to introduce you to Jay. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That, so before introducing you to Jay, I call you up and I say, Todd, met Jay. Right. Got a good vibe on him. Here's what he's doing. Can't put my name behind him yeah, yet. Absolutely. And then also with Jay, you know, Jay, I've known Todd for a long time. This is what he does. Well, yep. you know, just to make sure both parties are interested. Yeah. A- are, are, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no doubt about that. Have you had somebody, because this happens to me all the time, where people just refer people to me. And don't tell you. They don't tell me. And I mean, I can't begin to tell you how often that I had a that funny happens. situation the other day, and it's one of my college buddies. <laughs> it's a very good friend. And so I didn't mind at all, but it was yeah. almost like I got a random phone call from his brother-in-law telling me, hey, I got your number from so-and-so. He recommended I give you a call. Which was totally cool. Yeah. And it was a great conversation. We may end up working together. But it was like, why did he just let me know that he was making yeah. the connection? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, those can backfire. That's what no, I try oh, to tell absolutely. people. Depending on what, what time you catch them on or any of that, then you yeah. can come across a certain way. And you just don't want to do that. You never want to do that. No, absolutely. But I do think you have to be. And this is my problem with LinkedIn, right? Is You do have to curate. And I am not good at curating my LinkedIn account. But I feel like when it comes time to make the connection, you do have to curate the people that you want to introduce and be selective over. It's a direct reflection of you. Yeah, 100%. You know? Do you have a rule of thumb in terms of how long it takes you to get back to somebody? I try. It's funny you say that. I try as quickly as possible, Yeah. which creates a whole nother host of issues where I never put work down. So I'm like balancing that where I'm trying to 
be responsive, but also not have my phone in front of my face all day. Yeah, that's hard. Um, I've found that very hard. Building a business in an environment where we're expected to be responsive 24-7, simultaneously with raising a family. Yeah. Right? So trying to balance that. But yeah, generally within 24 hours for sure. Yeah, that's fantastic. And is that for, that's not for everybody. Generally speaking, really? I try to respond within 24 hours. I don't feel, if somebody reaches out to me with a straight solicitation, I do not feel compelled yeah. to respond. Yeah, uh, yeah, in yeah. fact, I've, I've become much better at just kicking that off to spam. Even if they reference somebody that I may know, if it wasn't a warm connection yeah. where the person went out of their way to make it, I don't feel compelled to respond. What's the focus of your job right now? As the founder, you, yeah. you're wearing a ton of hats, obviously. Absolutely. But are there certain, how much of it is business development versus running operations versus hiring versus just nitty gritty work? Yeah. So it's, I'd say most of my job at this point is managing people and relationships. We're fortunate we've grown significantly over the last couple of years. We're, I think we're 26 strong now. Which is awesome. How much uh, in New York versus California? New York versus DC. Or DC, DC. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say probably two thirds, one third. Interesting. You know, New York yeah. versus, yeah. versus DC. And it's been great, but it's, you want to keep people motivated and engaged and interested. And so that's a big part of my job. And then I'd say, so if I split it up, right, I would say probably one third people management and including relationships with customers and partner firms and things like that. Probably one third operations management, and then one third financial and strategic. Yeah. Define what you're the culture of Lofty is like. I want it to be fun. I would say the culture of Lofty is someplace that is fun to work and fulfilling. Right? Is what I want. Is is there a common thread amongst the people that work within the organization? You know, we have different roles, right? So I think there's a common thread in that. I think it's a generally laid back environment, which is good. That said, take what we're doing very seriously and want people to be hard driving and hardworking and all those things. But the biggest thing to me is, and I say this to our people all the time, is I want to be a positive rung in your career ladder, whatever that is, right? If you want to, this actually frustrates me tremendously with the job market in general. I'm under no illusion that people are going to be with Lofty forever, mm -hmm. right? Now, I hope that some will choose to be with Lofty forever, but I want to be a positive rung in their career ladder. And I never understood why in a good relationship, right? In a good working relationship, why is it that somebody has to come to you and say, hey, Adam, it's been fun. We've had a great relationship, but FYI, I'm out. Here's your <laughs> yeah. two weeks notice. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, this is somebody that you've built a relationship with over years and you care about, you care about them, you care about their family, you care about their well-being. That's not normal relationship management. And so what I'm hoping to build is a place where people feel comfortable talking about what their professional ambitions are. And if that professional ambition involves your work at Lofty, that's awesome. If your professional ambition involves, hey, spend two years at Lofty and then go to law school, I will be your biggest advocate. I'll write you the best recommendation I possibly can. A lot of people miss that. They don't get it. The employees don't get that. But you've got a good culture. I've only met, I think, about 10 people, but mm -hmm. everyone I've met has been fantastic. Yeah, we are very fortunate. We have, I feel like we have gotten to the point where it's, and I'll reference, uh, it's one of my favorite business books, Good to Great by Jim Collins. Oh, did you read his? 
Hold on, I'm going to monograph. Hold on, I'm going to put. We'll keep keep talking, yeah, yeah. but I'll be back. In, I just finished it yesterday. Hold on. There we go. The flywheel. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was intrigued by this concept, the flywheel, from good to great. Yeah. Like I mean, the two concepts that really stuck out to me was the headshot concept and the flywheel concept. And yeah, I just finished this. I listened yeah, to it on fine. Audible last week. So I, I actually liked Good to Great better. I don't know if... It... Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. Uh, just to finish my, my point, oh, sorry, what I was yeah, saying, yeah. no, 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 on that, and then turn to this, but to coin a phrase from good to great is I feel like we've got the right people on the bus, mm. right? We just have awesome people that I feel very fortunate. I've built very good relationships with. And I feel like we have a lot of people that will be with Lofty for a very, very long time. And I, I sincerely hope they will be, but it's that positive rung in a career ladder. Yeah. Well, you guys are moving the needle. You're building a business. It's fun. I haven't been to your office yet, but I'm assuming you gotta come it's out. pretty. If we, ever get, if we ever get yeah. you to Long Island. Yeah. Well, no. How funny was it when I saw you in, I forgot the t- what town are you in? Huntington. Huntington. You remember when oh, yeah. I was driving? So you were driving right that by me. That was so random. <laughs> that was so funny. That was, uh, that was amazing. Yeah. That was pretty funny. I'm still like, insulted you didn't stop. <laughs> no, I thought you guys were coming to the restaurant that we... You were going the other way. I was going the other way, yeah. It was just a random day. Yeah, that was totally funny. That's Todd. Yeah, I didn't even know you guys were there. So that was really funny. Okay, yeah, so so the culture. Explain more, though, your business to me. I want everyone to make sure they understand exactly. So you're getting leads, essentially. You're getting massive amounts of leads that these employment and uh, personal, injury. personal injury lawyers, yeah. they're highly catered to them, right? Like these yeah, are so, very, so I'll take it from the beginning. So what happened was recognize that you have an industry, the law, that is tech backward. And then you have a lot of vendors out there trying to sell them tech solutions. Mm-hmm. Problem is that the lawyer isn't capable of understanding what sales pitch from what's actual, right? Mm -hmm. Like what is good technology to be using? And there's a deep-seated frustration as you talk to lawyers that they constantly feel like they're getting taken advantage of. And so the idea was to use my legal background and combine it with technology to align 100% of our interests with the firms that we work with. So unlike any other advertiser you will come across out there, we put skin in the game, We'll that's match right. advertising yeah, I, I dollars. I remember, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. And like them, we work on contingency. We only get paid if and when these cases get resolved. Wow. So you need to vet your clients. Oh, like you're, you're vetting them probably more than they're vetting you. No, that, that's 100% correct. Yeah. Is we only work with great attorneys. Yeah. And the idea is to use technology in a fashion that is, and I don't know why this is missed. The idea is to use technology that is good for the client, the person that has been injured in an accident or harmed by an employer, good for the law firm, right? Mm-hmm. And good for the legal system. But somehow it's got convoluted and like those three things have somehow become like these mutually exclusive concepts. And I think a lot of it stems from fear of the unknown, right? It's you have the old guard in the legal space that is very custom. And I think you have the same thing in the medical profession, right? Very accustomed to doing things the way it's been done for a very, very long time. And I think in particular in those industries, it takes a very, very long time to get to the top, right? The top of what? The top of your game. So like, for example, I remember when I, I started practicing, right? And I was a commercial litigator. And I remember thinking to myself, like, and People forget this, right? If you're going to be successful at a law firm, 
at the end of the day, you have to bring in business. Mm. Come back to the networking concept. People may be promoted to partner, but at the end of the day, the partner that's making the decisions is the partner that's generating business, mm. the, the quote unquote rainmaker. And I remember thinking to myself that, hey, if I want to be a rainmaker in a commercial litigation group, how long is it going to be before I could convince General Electric to hire me as their lead counsel? It's going to be a very long time, yeah. right? You need a lot of credentials, a lot of wins, a lot of experience under your belt before that happens. And so that's my point is like to get to the top of the game, to get to the point where you're making the decisions on behalf of a large firm, there takes a lot of gray hair. Yeah. And I know my hair is turning gray. So point being is that the people making the decisions are by necessity a little bit older than you might have in other professions, which I think makes them less likely to want to rock the boat, right? Hey, I've worked at this yeah, industry for so long. long. Yeah. I've now got my gravy train. Like now I'm going to make some money. Why am I going to rock the boat? Why am I going to take a chance on something that's unproven? Interesting. Yeah. So are the majority of your clients, would you say, I hate to say younger, but are they younger firms? Is so I, right I will way? say, not younger firms, I will say- Are um, you dealing with the more junior so it's, No, I would say it's one of two things. I think we either Aggressive? have- yeah, That's exactly right. It's younger attorneys or progressive forward-thinking folks that understand that technology and data science is where the world's going. Yeah. I actually, I, I did a video, actually right before I, I got here, I got the first draft of it and I'm really excited about it. And in the video, I talk about the fact that if you think about yesterday's lawyers, the biggest firms out there, at least on the plaintiff's side, right, made their money by advertising on TV. They made their money, you guys see commercials for mesothelioma all the time, or you see the big mass tort or products yeah. liability commercials. And the pitch that I'm making to firms that the big firms of tomorrow are firms that are going to adopt technology and data science. Yeah. That's where it's going. And it's amazing how many people don't see it. Any good stories of firms that are clients of yours now that might have been on the fence and now that there's no way they're leaving you? Oh, we see it all the time, right? Where it's like people will give us a shot and we'll spend a couple thousand dollars a month on advertising and then slowly it increases as they realize that like there are results. Yeah. You What's know, the average return on an investment? Is there such a thing? Or you guys yeah, are still no, no, you have a good ROI yeah, yeah. on oh, your... ROI drives everything. Yeah. Uh, we aim to earn our firms in excess of five times their investment every two years. Wow. Yeah. So I compare that to an alternative. That that, well, that's be. exactly right. But And you know what's interesting? And this is another thing that I'd recommend anybody interested in entrepreneurship or business, know the numbers. It is amazing how many business owners out there do not understand the concept of return on investment. That How's that possible? And this is actually a problem. And I'll speak about law firms okay. in general. And I think that this is a shortcoming in legal education mm-hmm. is lawyers get out of law school wanting to practice law. But what they forget is that you need a sustainable business in order to actually practice your craft. Yeah. Uh, unless you're working for the government or well, that's, that's, in, I, in public interest. I, I mean, I think it's just such a tough discipline. There's so much that they need to know. Those are kind of like what we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. So I guess they don't necessarily know the business side of things, but they also don't have the relationships. That's why, like you said, for an associate to be a partner or to be a real rainmaker, mm-hmm. you need to have the relationships. None of that is taught in school. None of it. None yeah. of it. And, and it's almost like glossed over to some degree, like it's beneath us as an industry to talk about. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's backward. I think it's doing a great disservice to lawyers coming up. Right On one hand, you have these law schools raising the price of education. And on the other, you have them not preparing lawyers to practice in today's day and age. 
and it's it's really it's not good. To be right, I'll show you the video <laughs> yeah. after. It's, yeah, um, I want to see it. I'm this curious. is um, something that I'm going to be focusing on now. You're saying where I spend my time is I really want to raise the bar in terms of conversations. No yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. Is raise the bar in terms of the conversation that the industry is having in terms of technology, right? That it's not just, hey, use technology. It's what technology? How do you use technology? How do you vet a technology vendor and all of those things? Interesting. Well, they have, I guess a lot of firms aren't hiring vendor managers anyway, so. No, you know, it's, and this is also, we're sitting right outside New York City, right? It's it's common misnomer in New York is thinking that every firm is massive. When in reality, I think I read something that there are 10,000 law firms in America. And the average law firm, not the average law firm, it was something like, don't quote me on this, but it was like 75 or 80% of law firms have five or fewer attorneys. And what people don't realize is that the majority of the industry is very small. It's very fragmented. A lot of these are small businesses struggling to survive, mm-hmm. and they need all the help they can get, all the efficiencies they can use to make these businesses more profitable. Yeah. What would you say as an entrepreneur have been some of the most difficult challenges that you faced? It's a good question. Um, or maybe just certain advice that you would have for people that are either have an idea or starting out or relatively new businesses. Yeah. So a couple things. The one piece of advice I give, it is a roller coaster ride. Uh, and this is something that bothers me tremendously about the age of social media. We've completely whitewashed society, right? In, in terms of like, everybody's life is perfect. Every business is going to be the next billion dollar sensation. Nobody faced a challenge, right? Nobody posts on Facebook, hey, my funding just fell through. You know, yeah, just the shit the just client. hit the fan, right? Like, you know, I'm going to be yeah. scrambling for the next six months. Yeah. And my advice is to seek out fellow entrepreneurs that understand the struggle, understand it's a roller coaster ride, but love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, who, who are your calls when you when you're going through tough times outside of your wife or family? Yeah. Who are the people that you're leaning on? So I've been very very fortunate, and this would be a piece of advice: is put together a board of advisors of very experienced people across different disciplines that can provide you advice and guidance and comfort and sanity and all those things we need. Them. What has been some of the best advice that you've received some from some of these advisors? Is there anything consistently or do you know to reach out to one person for certain types of advice? Yeah. So I I think it's twofold. I think one is that no problem is nearly as big as it seems in the moment. And it takes somebody who has seen around the corner that has seen the other side of a similar problem to say, all right, let's get our composure. We got this, right? This is no problem. That'd probably be the best piece of advice that I've gotten from advisors. You know, the other stuff is like, there's a whole lot of strategic decisions that go into starting a business, especially early on, how to structure the organization, right? How to form relationships both in and out of the business, how to take on financing, how much equity to give away in terms of finance. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole lot of strategic decisions. And a lot of these decisions you won't see the effects of for many years. Yeah. Right. And so having people that can see that is important. And that's not only a board of advisors is people mess this up. Also, it's like, you should have a kick-ass accountant. You should have a kick-ass lawyer that you can rely upon. Those relationships are hard to form. 
And they took me a whole lot of time to have the people that I rely on. Who would you say are some of the most important, not necessarily specific people, but types of people to have in your networks? Yeah. Does that make sense, that question? Do you understand? To, to have in your, are you talking from the perspective of building a business or just in general? You know what? I'm going to let you answer that however you want. Okay. So, so we're talking about in building a business. I'll give that advice okay, first. Okay. Start there. In terms of building a business, so wholeheartedly, you want to take on partners that have skill sets that are additive to yours. The compliment. That's exactly right. Too often I see like there would be no, when I founded Lofty, it would not make sense for me to partner with another lawyer, right? What I needed to partner with was somebody who had technical expertise, right? So that's what I did there. In taking on boards of advisors, mm-hmm. right? Taking on people that have more experience in different areas than I have. So for example, and actually combine family and business, one of my best advisors is my father-in-law, who is a seasoned entrepreneur in his own right, has seen around the corner, has experienced all of the trials and tribulations, and he's turned into somebody that I can rely upon to go to with my questions. Mm-hmm. Another one on the finance side, one of my other advisors is a private equity professional, partnered a very large private equity fund, knows how to structure deals, right? And knows what are the provisions you should be looking for that can really come back to haunt you down the road. How do you negotiate these things? Negotiating a big credit facility, right? Is not something that comes <laughs> naturally, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it comes with it's, experience. There's so much nuances to that too. Yeah. like. Exactly. And then outside advisors, very fortunate that we have a corporate lawyer and an accountant that we can trust. So it's all, so there's clearly a common theme. Know, like, and trust. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Every single one. Every one of these touch points, right? Yeah. Is there anyone that's in your tribe, your circle, your board of advisors, or just anyone that you're turning to that is not someone that either you knew or was referred by someone that you knew, like, and trusted? Nope. Yeah. No, it's all, it all comes through warm connections, which is the people I like working with. And I'll tell you a story in, in a different context. So something about me is I hate with a passion. The, the <laughs> I can feeling, tell it. Whatever it is, uh, I can already see it. The feeling, Look at that face. <laughs> it, 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 that's right. The feeling of somebody ripping me off, mm. right? I don't do that to anybody. And like, it really gnaws at me if I feel like somebody's trying to take advantage of me. And to my detriment, often when I negotiate deals, it's like, I want a deal that's fair for everybody. I'm not interested in pulling the wool over your eyes. That's just not sustainable. Yeah. It's not, yeah, I may make an extra couple of bucks today, but the deal is going to fall apart tomorrow when you realize you're getting screwed. Right. And so my negotiating strategy has always been to cut a fair deal. And so my wife and I just bought a new house and the conversation, thank you. The, the idea originally was we were going to renovate our old house and put an extension on it. And part of the reason we decided not to is I don't know anything about construction. And negotiating things that I don't Uh, understand, I really do not enjoy. And it's not in my nature to not try and learn it. And I decided that I just don't have the time to, to learn how to negotiate that stuff. And so, yeah, being able to trust people and know that they have your best interest at hearts is invaluable. I mean, there's so many people. Think about whether it's from a human resource standpoint, purchasing or your lease. I mean, there's so many pieces of your business that you just don't have the time for or that you can't, so you have to trust. And 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 I'll tell you a story. It's my red line. It's the second somebody tries to take advantage of me, they're out. Yeah. 
had an employee who I really, really liked, still do, and cared about her greatly. We had a deal at Lofty, and I got this. It's actually a, it's a cool company that uh, Arnie Malman started, and I know him through the legal space, called the Better Book Club. And I got the idea from him. So shout out to Arnie for coming up with this. We really call this the Jay and Arnie show. That, that's exactly right. <laughs> Where he would pay his employees to read books, right? And better themselves and get smarter. And so I took that idea and at Lofty and I said, and I think the deal that we had was that I'd pay you a hundred bucks if you read a book and wrote a book report on it. Not anything extensive, yeah. like a two, three pages of like, here's what I learned about it. And then we'd sit down and discuss it. Sure, you uh, Just you mono and mono yeah. or with the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. And then this, I mean, some, I, I love reading, I love it. learning. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so I thought like, that'd be a cool way to like get people to be engaged. It'd be a good conversation and team building, et cetera. Smart move. And so this employee uh, had read a lot of books and we had a bunch of conversations about them. Never really thought twice about it. Thought she was cranking through books. Then we went on a hiatus where she didn't read any books. And then all of a sudden, fast forward like a year, right before payroll, right before I was about to run payroll, I get like three book reports. Boom, boom, boom. Three of them. So I was like, cool, let me check them out. And I, I just skimmed and I, and I trust her implicitly. And so I just skimmed the book reports and said, I was going to pay sight unseen. And so I skimmed the book reports and I was like, Something sounds off here. Like no, it doesn't do sound Google doesn't sound it. so I literally cut and pasted a paragraph, put it into my browser, and it was ripped verbatim from some website. Yeah. And I was like, it was soul crushing. It was yeah. like, come on. And so that like the trust there had just been bleached. Go on. And the crazy part... 30 years to build a relationship, 30 seconds to wipe it the, out. You're 100% right. And the crazy part about this, her brother was getting married overseas and she was worried about being able to afford the flight to go to the wedding. And I said, don't worry about it. Like, you should be at your brother's wedding. It'd be my pleasure to pick it up. Yeah. And she turned me down, didn't want it, etc. And then over $300. Uh-huh. Like, I, I just... It, I couldn't short, believe short game, it. Short yeah, game. I, I couldn't believe it. Wow. Um, so what is bad advice that you've been given? Any bad advice? Ooh, that's a good question. I've tuned it all out. <laughs> uh, bad advice I've been given. I can't think of any one piece of advice that was bad, but I will say that cliches don't explain everything, mm. right? Like, I feel like a lot of people will give advice that's very cliche. And what I found is in building a business is like, it's the nuance matters, right? Yeah. The details matter. And I feel like people gloss over that. So you have a very specific business. So I don't know if maybe the advice people are giving you isn't accurate just because what worked for them and say construction doesn't necessarily apply to digital. Yeah. No, and I think... and. This is actually another way of answering the bad advice question to some degree is you got to shy away from groupthink and inherent biases, mm. right? And so just because somebody smart gives you a piece of advice, don't take it as gospel, yeah. right? Because to your point, the context could be way, way yeah. different. And so, yeah, I think that's an extraordinarily important lesson. Yeah. Who are some of your go-to people though, besides your board? Do you have, is there a friend that you go to that... I don't have to maybe say their name, but, yeah, but so, what is it about them that you value their opinion? Yeah, or so advice? number one go to are my brothers. 
Okay, so uh, I want to talk about your brothers. Actually, yeah, they so sound very interesting. They are. So you know, it's interesting. I, I have I'm one of three boys. I'm the oldest, and then the middle brothers Evan and then Brett, and we're all entrepreneurs. All started our own businesses. They actually work together. Have a very successful outdoor advertising business that advertises on billboards, et cetera, around the country. Let's give their firm a plug. Yeah, Who, uh, New Tradition Media. Okay, uh, is the name of their business. Very very successful, incredible business. They've got an incredible team there. I should actually, we should swing by their office at some point. I think you'd really enjoy meeting them. They've got a cool space in Soho. But uh, just there this morning. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. They are my go-to though. Like they get, and this is. Did they start their business before you or after? Before. Before. Okay. So Evan started the business probably two or three years before Lofty. Okay. And what I'll say is, and this is where finding people that you can be your most brutally honest self with. And one of the things that I benefit from having two brothers that are in the same boat is being able to have those honest conversations, right? The trials and tribulations, the hard days versus the good days. And I'll say this, if you ever talk to an entrepreneur, anybody that has built their business and they are always claiming like everything's wonderful, you are getting bullshit advice, (laughs) period, end of story. And the other thing I would say is like people love to talk about like the idea they had and how it's very easy to talk about an idea 10 years down the road after the business has come to fruition and wrap it up nicely into this little bow and like it came to you in this moment of clairvoyance, right? That is not yeah, the way happen. it happens yeah, uh, at all. It's like you get moments of clarity based on a very iterative process. And I feel like one of the things I've greatly benefited from with my brothers is being able to talk about that process. Mm. They've gone from selling the banners behind planes and the tops on tops of taxis to some of the most prized outdoor advertising properties in the world. And so like seeing that process and how you go from making one sale to another has really been tremendous. Do they have the same relationship skills that you have? Oh, they do. Yeah. 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 And where is it? Is this Richheimer DNA? Uh, you know, like it's... how much of it is it you guys learn from each other? How much is it from maybe the neighborhood you grew up in? How much came from the top from your family? You know, it's, I try to think about that all the time. We are very fortunate in that grew up in a great household with mm-hmm. loving parents, awesome mom and dad. I think in some ways, a lot of our formative experience is my mom passed away two days after her 50th birthday, breast cancer. And I was 24, Evan 22, and Brett 18. And it just came at a moment in time where like, we were very fortunate that my mom was there for our entire childhood. Was she sick for a long time or did this happen quickly? So she was, but she wasn't, if that makes sense. So she had first been diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 13. And my, she died when you were 24? And she died when I was 24. Okay. And my parents hid it from us. So we knew nothing about it when wow. I was 13. Yeah. Didn't find out about it coming back until I was in college. It was like freshman or sophomore year of college that it came back. And it was really the last year where she was, I would define her as sick. Yeah. But even then, didn't really understand the gravity of it. They kept a lot from us. <sighs> really hard stuff. And I think it came at a point in time where... We were trying to figure out who we were as people and what we wanted out of life. And I think it just gave us all a giant kick in the ass where it's like, hey, even if I fail, it's not as bad as that. It just puts everything in perspective. Yeah. So how, from a resilience standpoint, you know, even getting back to what you talked about earlier, how important was that 
from a four, I guess fortitude. I don't know if that's the right word yeah. to describe when you're going through a lot of the stuff that you're going through. You know, I, I have when this that financing fell through and no, all the other things. That, I have this belief that like, and I think I said this to you at some point is perspective is the key to life, right? Ooh, is, is being able to understand your situation in context. I think makes for a very happier, very more productive, much more resilient. What do you do for that perspective? So my mom, my mom had this saying up till the day she died. She had this saying that if you walked into a crowded room and everybody in that room took all of their problems and they threw them smack dead center, guaranteed, this is my mom on her deathbed saying this, guarantee you would take back your own. <laughs> you guarantee know? you take back your own meaning they're insignificant in the grand scheme of things that, that or grand or like somebody's always got it worse worse than you right? no matter I what mean, it, and no she matter, said this on her deathbed yeah and be wow. thankful for your situation and I think about it in my own context and I, and I my heart breaks for somebody I lost my mom at 24 the poor kid who loses their parent at 5 or 6 right I mean and so I'm so fortunate my mom raised me my mom and dad raised me but you know my yeah. mom was there for my childhood perspective Right. And so being able to put things in context and realize that your situation isn't nearly as bad as you think it is, is really very helpful. Get, get over yourself, in other words. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, and this is where trusted relationships come yeah. in, right? People that you can rely upon to give you that kick in the ass and say, hey, listen, don't get me wrong. I go back to like people whitewashing life. It's not like my mom died and I woke up the next morning and I'm like, yeah. this is amazing, right? I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm so lucky that I have my mom for all these years. Yeah. It was a really difficult period of time, yeah, yeah. right? This perspective <laughs> yeah. came over a very long period of time. But you're sharing it now, so those who can listen, hopefully if it took you 10 years, That's if exactly it shaves right. it down for five yeah. years, then it's a win. No, it's talking to people that understand, yeah. whether it's from a business perspective, a personal perspective. And seek those people out. Yeah. And then how important do you think that that was, that advice was for your brothers? Oh, tremendously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tremendously. Hard. Very, very hard. And we each dealt with it in our own way. Although very similar from a extroverted perspective, definitely different in the way that we cope with things. Yeah. Um, it's a whole other topic. Yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. But um, yeah. And collectively, we're able to get through it. And then back to your brothers of the Retimer DNA. Are they extroverts also? Or are they? They are. They are. They, okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and, definitely extroverts. And, and how important are the relationships that they've built? How have they served their business? Is it business? Do you believe these relationship skills are just for certain types of business, or do you think the, having the build are relationship agnostic? It's every business, right? Yeah. I mean, like you need. At the end of the day, people want to work with people that they like and they trust. And it's like people overthink that, right? Like everybody puts it out there. I feel like this is something that happens in business all the time is like you get people that are really smart that overthink the hell out of things. When at the end of the day, people want to finance people they like and they trust. There are a lot of good businesses out there. And as they're sifting through things, like are you somebody that's going to make good on what you said you were going to do? Why do you think that we're even having to have this conversation? Meaning... There aren't a lot of people. Is it an abundance for scarcity mindset? Is it just people aren't as good as we'd like them to be? Why do you think that we have to even highlight this? The importance of being able to be proactive in a relationship, being able to be trustworthy. What I don't know why we are ingrained as people like this, but I feel like, and I can hear my parents talking about this to some degree as a kid, but people always want the easy way out. 
right? And so like people, everything, if you think about like everything from work to diets to fitness, right? Man, I want that easy way. I would no, die. That's <laughs> it, right? You think about all these fad diets, right? It's like, yeah. hey, go eat bacon and fat and, and all this. Like, yeah, I mean, because those are mass marketing solutions, right? To like not have people think about the hard things they need to do to get to their goal. And I think relationships are one of them, right? Like relationships are hard. They take work. They're complicated and they take work and it, it comes easier to some people versus others. But yeah, it takes work. And I feel like people want the outcome, but not necessarily put in the work. And I find the same thing with entrepreneurship all the time. And this is another thing that I'd recommend people. I'm actually really excited. I'm going back to Emory this week to talk on an entrepreneurial panel. And I was actually thinking about some of the advice that I'd give myself sitting back in that chair 20 years ago. And it comes down to this. It's like, there is no short change for hard work. I don't care what you want to do. If you want to be good at it, you're going to have to work. And don't believe the headlines of like, hey, this business was started yesterday and tomorrow it's worth you know a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. For every one of those, there is nine trillion businesses where that is not the case. Yeah. So what are you going to talk? What are you going to tell them? How much time do you have with them? So it's just ten minutes, and then That's on it. a panel wow. to like answer, oh, to answer questions. questions. Okay, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Is that the one thing you want them to walk away from? So like? there's, I came up with, and I'm still working on this. Okay, all right. But, so, no. but I, yeah. I came up with four or five things, and one was. There are no aha moments, mm-hmm. right? It's like, I remember thinking as a college kid, like, what's my aha moment? What's my, my genius innovation? And as we talked about, it's an iterative process. And I, to me, it all comes down to curiosity. Curiosity is what ultimately leads to aha moments, if you want to call them that. It leads to breakthrough. It leads to ideas. So I think curiosity is one of them. The other one was relationships, yeah. right? It's, I think about my business, everything comes back to relationships, down to forming a relationship with the random guy I met at a share house in the Hamptons because he had a cool skill set, right? Everybody talks about how hard it is to find a technical co-founder. I found a technical co-founder because I had a relationship. Perseverance, right? This shit is hard, right? <laughs> it's, it, it is a roller coaster how ride. How many times do you want to throw in the towel? Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you how you can go to bed one night feeling like you're on top of the world and the next morning get that email yeah you get that email where the you know the wind is knocked out from under you so perseverance those are the and hustle it's Mm. like there is i will take a guy or girl who wants to hustle any day over intelligence you know you know my saying on that you know uh, hustle beats talent when talent doesn't hustle no it's a hundred percent correct not my saying but I, i i have this belief that there is a baseline amount of intelligence that is needed to succeed. And that baseline may go up or down depending on the industry that you're in or the business you're trying to create. But once you surpass that baseline, it is all hustle, Mm -hmm. right? Like the extra IQ points do me absolutely no good. Not me personally. I'm saying hiring somebody with extra IQ points does me absolutely no good. So so funny you say that. It's really interesting. So I want to say it's the Wonderlick test. Have you ever heard of that? It might be, I think it's the wonder look. It's, it's, an, like IQ, personality it's, an, I, it's like an IQ test. Okay. And it's only you've got, and again, I, I could be wrong on, on all the numbers, but you'll get the genesis of where I'm yeah. going. I want to say it's like you have 36 or 43 questions and you only have 
30 minutes, let's say, to right. answer these questions. And it gives you an IQ test, like roughly an IQ. Yeah. And and so what's really interesting is there are certain industries, and I remember this, I, I learned this when I was in the recruiting executive yeah. search. And I want to say that there is a sweet spot that you would get. And I want to say, so you being very high IQ mm-hmm. was not to your advantage. It was actually being like a mediocre to upper mediocre is like that was your best suited for the industry. If that was your IQ, and then it was the person, that's kind of that bar where you need to Absolutely be. Certain industries that. you need to have, but yeah. I remember the wonder look, and they do it in sports too. That's the yeah. test they use for certain sports. I 100% agree with that concept. I've also found working with really smart people, don't get me wrong, there's working with really smart people is invaluable. Oh yeah, right? no question. Um, I'll give my co-founder a, a shout out. Is One of the things that I appreciated about Mike, first time I met him, knew absolutely nothing about the law. One of these people that you explain something to once. Damn is, him. Got it. Damn you, you know? Mike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm the guy that takes an hour and a half yeah. to watch 60 minutes, man. You know? Rewind. Yeah. yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. Well, man, so I know we're quasi running out of time here. I've got a bunch of like all these questions. I want, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to pick one from each category. All, all right. right. Let's go. Let's you go with the it. first one. Give me a number between 17 and 59. Well, 18's my favorite number. It so. is? Yeah. How'd that happen? Daryl Strawberry, 1986 Mets. Okay. All right. All right. Wow. So uh, that's really funny. So I'm actually going to be interviewing next week Wally Backman. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's great. That. Yeah. Actually, he's out by you. Yeah. He was, I want to say he recently showed up at like our local liquor, liquor store. Yeah. He, like yeah. there was some sort of he promotion around. Yeah. So he's, he's right by you. Uh, that's really funny. Yeah. So on, uh, yeah, I'm interviewing him. Are you coming out, are we? Yeah. So we'll get to all right. right that's that's yeah. it. All right, yeah, done. So that's I'll be it. there. I'll be there today. Today. So I'll be there in two weeks. Okay. Beautiful. Yeah, so man, actually, if you want to meet him, you're more than welcome awesome. to. Yeah. That'd be great. So Thank you. okay. So number eighteen, man. I remember. So actually, that's how I became a Met fan. Okay. It was 1983. He threw out. Uh, I think it was his rookie year. Mm-hmm. Him and Dykes are 82. When I saw him throw out from right field, he threw a guy out at home plate. I was like, holy shit! And from that day on, I was a Mets fan. Oh, I don't incredible. know if that's a good or a curse. I don't know what, you know, but all right. It makes you, can I, quick yeah, funny story? Yeah, of course, yeah. So it makes you, one of, I have a buddy from college, uh, very successful entrepreneur in his own right, one of the people that I go to for advice. And we graduate college and we take a road trip through the West. We're going uh-huh. to Tahoe, Vegas, et cetera. And of course, we're drinking one night and we make a bet. He tells me that he could throw a baseball from the right field wall to home plate on a fly. No problem. I'm like, bullshit, you can't do it. How pay, old are you pay 100 bucks. We're, we just graduated college. Okay, so we're gotcha. 21. 21. Yeah, yeah nope. we'll pay 100 bucks. Okay. So the next day we go down to a local football field and say, well, right field wall, it's about 100 yards, 300 feet. Yep. So end zone, end zone. We get down there. And you see his face when, when, he, realized when he realizes far, how far it is. How far yeah. did he make it? He didn't come close. He <laughs> maybe yeah. made it to 70 yards. And then he he doubled good. he doubled his trouble. He has a good arm. Doubled his trouble by, he's like, okay, I'll throw it from the 50-yard line from my knees and get it to the end zone. Oh, not no. even close. 200 bucks. Yeah. You know, and right. I mean, oh, you doubled just, down. Yeah, he doubled it. Having yeah. graduated from college, 200 bucks. Yeah, I'll take that. Oh, it was incredible. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. All right, ready. So, what was the nicest thing that someone has ever done for you? Wow. That's a tough one, right? Yeah, you know, nice. man, where do you begin on that one? 18 wasn't my favorite number. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know what? Okay, I'll throw this one out there, and I quote it 
all the time. It was after my mom passed away, Mm -hmm. a friend from high school wrote me a note, a card. Not somebody that I was exceptionally close with, especially all these years after high school, right? Not somebody I kept up with. Wrote me this beautiful note, and in it was a quote that said something along the lines of, when you come to the end of all the light you know, and you're about to step off into the unknown, no one of two things will happen. One, you'll find something solid to stand on, or two, you will learn to fly. And it was just like, and it goes back to relationship stuff. Forever, she will ever be in my heart as just like that, like unsolicited moment of kindness, right? She went out of her day to send me a note. A lot of people have done incredibly kind things. So I I struggle to say that's the kindest thing anybody ever done, has done for me. But that one sticks out in my mind. Yeah, that's impressive. That's nice. Awesome. All right. One to 14, give me a number. 12. 12. Besides your family... What's your most prized possession? I'll give you a physical possession. Okay. Uh, so in the, the Jewish religion, there's the symbol Chai, uh-huh. which is the sign for life. My grandfather, who I credit with giving me all of my confidence, just a larger-than-life figure in my life. He was a big guy, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, probably you know, at one point, 300 pounds, like big, oh, big. <laughs> big guy. And just, I mean... He was my guy, right? I was the oldest grandson. We had this incredible relationship. Big guy, and he wore this giant chai around his neck. And when he died, that was passed along to me. Awesome. And where's that possession right now? Uh, Sitting next to my bed. Really? Okay, so you see it every day. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty cool. Okay, one to four, give me one. Actually, I'll tell you how big this thing was. Is uh, (laughs) I'm in college, Uh and after he passes away, I'm super sentimental about Uh it, right? And so I'm wearing this thing, and... It looks ridiculous on me, right? <laughs> it, it looks it, like the flavor flavor. That's clock. exactly right. It looks, it's almost that size. So I wear it to, this is between my sophomore and junior year of college, and my buddy's having a pool party during the summer, and I wear it, and his dad looks at me, and he goes, where'd you get that? The door of the temple? Right? Yeah. So I, I retired wearing it out of the ridiculous nature of it, but it's now next to my, my good luck charm, if you will. Okay, good. A one to 16, give me a number. Number one. Number one, awesome. Biggest failure. Biggest failure. I am going to go with the, and we've alluded to it throughout the conversation, our financing falling through last January. So the backstory there is, had worked on this financing for eight months. We had started in... Uh, Do you care to share the amount or... Yeah, it was going to be for a $25 million credit facility. Um, yeah, okay. And That's enough. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it, was, it was a big number. Yeah. And I really liked the guy that we were working with. And I let my... So the, the story is we worked on it from for pretty much all of 2017, and the deal was set to close in January of 18. We had sunk God knows how much money into drafting documents. Documents were finished, complete. All we had to do was sign, and the money had a fund, right? It was done. I'm on vacation with my family in December of 2017, about to go into 18. The deal was set to close January 10th, and I get an email from the guy that we were working with and saying we hit a snag that his funding source had fell through. So no fault of our own, but his funding source had fell through. The reason why I put that up there as my biggest failure, and this is a weakness of mine, is I have a tendency to see the good in people. And 
my optimistic nature can get in the way sometimes of making objectively sound decisions. And in my gut, I knew that we probably should have walked away from this months prior. How? How would you have known? There were signs. There were red flags. Were they just retarding the process? Yeah. The the process got delayed twice. I got retraded on the deal at one point. And it was almost like we were so committed that, and we had spent so much money on putting this together that I didn't want to pull the escape hatch and pull out of the deal and go find something else. It was a pretty dramatic decision. So we well, were already committed just through the docs anyway, so you couldn't have... Uh, well, we hadn't signed yet. Gotcha. We hadn't okay. signed yet, so I could have backed out. But it was, and this is a cliche, but it's to understand the nuance of it, and it really was a learning experience. Like with every failure, there's an ability to learn. That experience has made me such a better businessman, having lived through that, right? It, the way I describe it to folks following it, so the deal falls through. And I have to scramble. Right? Luckily, <laughs> luckily, through advisors and relationships, we were able to line up enough capital to get through the period of looking for a larger credit facility. And But the way I describe it is that six-month period at the beginning of 2018, I earned my entrepreneurial stripes. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I had yeah. a newborn at home who wasn't sleeping. Oh, uh, and, you know, I have all these people at work relying on me, investors relying on yep. me to figure this out. And another cliche, but it actually worked out, is we ended up with a deal way better than we would have had. Just everything from- Through a friend of a friend. Through a friend of a friend, other than just everything from, and I'm not talking about the economics, I'm talking about just the people we're working with and the synergies between our businesses, et cetera. Wow. Last question before I let you go. One to 15, give me a number. 15. You know, it's so funny. Okay. When was the last time that you changed your mind on an opinion? How did that happen or who can you attribute with influencing that decision? That's a tough question. That is a tough question. <clears throat> yeah. I'm sorry. You you called it. I, I knew you were going to do it for some odd really? reason. I went one. Yeah. And I was yeah. Pick. Yeah. I was, uh, I changed my mind. Yeah. That's a tough one. I can throw another one at you if you want. Yeah. That's it. Throw me another one and I'll see if I can think okay. of one. Oh, you know what? Here's just totally random and fun and good one yeah. to go out on. What was the first concert you went to? First concert I went to. Okay. First concert I went to was Dave Matthews. Oh, wow. Okay. Not a bad one. Can I give you best concert? Yeah. Uh, best concert I ever went to. But you have one. That's a pretty story. It, because, and it, it actually just came up because i give my cousin a shout out. My idiot cousin lost the most epic picture. So we, my brother was studying abroad in Barcelona. And through relationships, his roommate there, family somehow knew Max Weinberg, who was Bruce Springsteen's drummer. And so we end up getting backstage passes to go see Bruce Springsteen at Olympic Stadium in Barcelona. So, which was. Sounds horrible. I, Sorry, I mean, it yeah. was. So imagine like they're college kids. I'm a year out of college. We get down to Olympic Stadium probably like 10 a.m. or something. Like, I mean, we're hanging out there all day. And we watched the concert from the side of the stage. We weren't on the stage. We were right beneath it. And at one point, Bruce Springsteen hung the microphone over the stage. And the group of us sung Hungry Heart into the microphone. And there was a picture of us doing it. And my cousin lost it. How does he lose that? I don't know. Oh, man. We're not going to give the cousin a shout out. That's right. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, no, it was... uh, 
Yeah, that was cool experience. That, is, that does sound yeah. like one. Todd, you're awesome. I very much hey. appreciate you coming in, spending the day. We're now going to go have a good meal. Oh, absolutely. If I could give you a plug uh-huh. real quick, I absolutely love what you're doing. Thank I, you. I really do. I, I don't think enough people put emphasis on relationships. I think everything comes down to relationships, whether it's your family, your business, and more people need to pay attention to it. And I love how you're establishing a framework to do that. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, listen, I, I love it. I've seen... I see so many people, well, a couple things. There was a great podcast I listened to. I want to say it was Tim Ferriss, but he had someone on that did this study from people that were in palliative care. Do you know mm-hmm. palliative care? Not hospice. Right. So palliative care is kind of like the stage before hospice. Yeah. So palliative care is you're on the road yeah. to, and, and it's a very reflective period of time. Mm-hmm. Like what yeah. your mother, like what she was saying, yeah. that's a, the stage that she was probably in was in palliative. Yeah. Anyway, so very reflective. And and at the end of the day, the things that are most important to people universally, doesn't matter what culture, doesn't matter whatever, it doesn't, it's not how much you made, it's, not, it's either, it's the relationships and maybe like the impact that they've had on, mm-hmm. on society. Yeah. So, but what happens is so many people aren't, they're not developing these relationships or what it is, is they reach out to people when they need something. Mm-hmm. And that's not when it's like getting a, looking to check to see if you have a spare tire, yeah. you know, after you've had a flat. Do you know, I got, tur- right after I graduated college, we haven't talked about this, but right after I graduated college, I kept getting invited to these networking breakfasts, mm-hmm. right? I forgot the names of them, but they're all set up by the insurance industry, essentially. And you go around the table and you say, hi, I'm Todd, I do this, and I need this. Can one of you hook me up with that? Yeah. It was awful. <laughs> it was, I stopped going to them. I mean, it was, it was, ter- yeah. it was the most useless self-serving transactional way to do business. Yeah, hundred. I completely uh, agree. So, yeah. So anyway, you are the counter to that. So yeah. well thank you. And I, I gotta tell you, I'm glad that you bring that up because while we're we're at least talking about it, that's why so my company, Network Wise, or let me move this for a second. <laughs> network wise, I'm trying to change the way that people don't just network network wise and to network wise is to take a proactive approach to relationship development where the ultimate goal is to benefit somebody else so it would have been great if you went around the room and said hey everybody how can we help Todd that's right (laughs) hey everybody how can we do that and to really you know to build the relationships to know like and trust people first so that you do have because then if you refer somebody you can't just you're you're gonna burn your relationship you know how can I just if I don't if I just met you at a networking Mm -hmm. event how can I just refer somebody to you? I yeah. don't. I don't know you. No, that's exactly right. You know, and how can I do that to? So to your point, I'm sorry to kind of belabor yep. this, but I really no. I appreciate the plug. Hey. That's a great point. You're awesome. Likewise, and, thank and, you for uh, having me on. Yeah, and one last question before I let you go: If we were to come back and do this in one more year, what would we see that Lofty's accomplished? So I didn't know about the employment piece. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. So if we come back in one more year, you will see us having doubled our size. Doubled? Yeah. Wow. So, so, so you feel that you're at a tipping point where you're, we are. It's, it's the, one of the, one of the, the flywheel over. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. It's, no, and I, I love that metaphor. I mean, the flywheel, because that's, it's how I feel. It's, I've spent the last five years building this machine and to watch it scale is just so much fun. Yeah. Right. It's like now it's, I get to spend my time figuring out how to, I suspect that I'm not in construction, but building the foundation is probably in a lot of ways the hardest part, mm-hmm. right? And we've got the foundation built and now it's just stacking on the stories. That's awesome. Which is great. Can't wait for that year. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, 
or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.